Welcome to Creative Income, a podcast that focuses on making a living in the creative space. Whether you're an actor, filmmaker, musician, painter, or anything that doesn't fit the 9 to 5 mold, there is value for you here. I'm Lars Lindstrom. Let's get into it. Hey, everybody. Lars Lindstrom here from Creative Income. Uh, what, a, what a week. It's been a good week for me. I feel like, um, let's see, I think we're up to 17 reviews on Apple Podcasts so far. Uh, I don't know if that's good or bad. Like I said, I don't know if any of this stuff is good or bad, but for now, I feel pretty good about it. I'd like more. Um, how many episodes have you listened to? If you've listened to at least one episode, I feel like you'll have a pretty good gauge of how you're going to like or not like the podcast. So, um, if you've listened to an episode, go ahead and pause this and submit maybe your first Apple podcast review ever. That would be cool, right? So let's go ahead and pause. And if you did it already, great. You're back. Welcome back. And, uh, um, I, I'm going to ask one other thing this week. Um, we'll, we'll consider this an ad brought to you by posting this on social media. So let's, let's, I'd really like, um, a share, a direct share on either Instagram or Facebook this week, uh, just to get things going. We've got, uh, five episodes so far. This is number six. Uh, next week, um, we're going to flip the table and interview me. And I, I threw a little thing out on Facebook and Instagram, uh, asking who should interview me. It was a bit of a probe, but, uh, it's going to be my dad. Um, he's also creative. He's a graphic designer, letter form artist, um, an entrepreneur, and I'm going to have him interview me, tell my story, um, a little bit about my, about my financial journey, and uh, also my creative journey. So stay tuned for that. That should be fun. This week, though, we have uh, Jahan Sincerely, and I know, I've know i known Jahan for about eight or nine years now, uh, just bef- just right after she came to Los Angeles and started doing Geronimo. Um, I got to meet her, and truthfully, she's just... <laughs> Like, you'll you'll hear it in the episode for sure. She's just such a caring human being, genuinely. I mean, she loves people. She loves art. And um, that's kind of her whole philosophy in life is just bring joy. Bring joy to people through art. And somehow also be wildly successful at the same time. Um, yeah, Geronimo is is wildly successful and I'm very happy for her and her success. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we should just dive right in. Jihan, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time and your talent. So if you wouldn't mind, just uh, go ahead and start out and tell us who you are, where you come from and what you do. Thanks for having me, Lars. Uh, my, my name is Jahan Zenderly, and for the last 10 years, I've gone by the artist named Geronimo. And uh, what I do, uh, you know, well, interesting time to ask that question, because I think what I'm doing is, has, is going to be changing, if not has already shifted. But um, in, some, uh, in some way or another, in the last 10 years, I have been working in um, the balloon or inflatable world. And most recently, I have been um, working with cities and developers to create large installations for public uh, public viewing. So if you are, let's see, one of my clients is Wall Street. Um, ooh, boo! Anyway. Uh, <laughs> no, so you said you work yeah. in the balloon and inflatable world. Is there a world, yeah. Jihan? Is that an actual world? Yeah. I might have made up the world, but there are people who do these things. Um, I I make inflatable sculpture. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you've seen a, the Goodyear blimp. I guess that's probably my closest competi- competition um, <laughs> to, you know, Bobo the Clown, who's 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 wrangling wrangling balloons for a kid's party. Um, some version yeah. of that I have An done. Interesting economy. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am, uh, yeah, I, 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 10 years ago, I sort of got onto the right, uh, I don't know, the right list at the right time. And I was in the right place and I met the right people. And so I've been on the short lift list for, um, artists of a specific, uh, demographic. Um, I'm Turkish. I'm a woman. I own my business outright. And so I've really benefited by 
you know, uh, fitting into some category that works for advertising and marketing artists, which I'll have to say is a huge part of success is not really how great of an artist you are, but how great you are as a sell to other businesses. So we can get into that, but, um, I'd love uh, to, yeah. yeah. Can we, can we start a little bit before drama though? Can we start, um, Mm -hmm. just kind of your, your, your life as an artist and, and how you were able to kind of seize some opportunities that you saw available? Yeah. Well, I had worked in product design for children's character education tools. So um, in school these days, there is generally no education on how to be a good citizen and how to keep, um, you know, how to keep going when it's tough. And so I worked for a company in Seattle, which is where I'm from. Um, that created learning tools, uh, whether it's in the classroom or as like a mobile, like, uh, what is it called? Uh, an assembly program, um, to help teach these, teach these things. And in the process, I had called in some balloons as perhaps like a, a material I would use for something. And I didn't, um, I, uh, so I had them in my in my vicinity, I had these very large balloons around me, but I was looking at objects as a prop to tell a story always. That was my goal. Um, whether it was pencil top erasers or a yo-yo, which was the, the number one product of this company that I worked with. Um, I saw the important role that objects have to express, um, a story and to bring people in. And as someone who has always loved the arts and has always been some sort of art artist of some way, um, uh, everything, uh, everything that I was doing in that profession at the, at that moment just sort of led me to creating this balloon on my kitchen table. And then it, it, I moved to LA and someone asked to put uh, images of it on their blog. And then within a week, I had a buy it now link on PayPal uh, th- with Was 30, that something 000. that you set up personally? Uh, actually, personally, no. It was someone that I went to high school with. I was like, hey, uh, Braden Ham, will you, uh, he'd actually be a great person for this podcast as well. Um, will you okay. do me a favor and put together this little one page website for me? And uh, he, he was just the closest person I had that, that had skills with a computer. And so he put that together and put a buy it now link. And I had $30,000 in the account at the end of the week. And I thought, wow, how, okay. Why mm-hmm. do you think that happened? What were the circumstances around? Like, talk to me about where it was posted. Where do people get to see this thing? Was it just luck? What happened? This was in 2011, pre, um, pre-Pinterest and pre-Instagram, uh, when people turned to blogs as their site for everything new, whether it was products or, uh, you know, uh, thought. Um, and, and there's been a shift in that power. And so bloggers, I don't think have quite that gravitas that they had previously, but the woman in particular who posted about me, her name is Joy Cho. She's been on the Forbes list multiple times. She has collaborations with many brands. Um, and she had a, a website called Ojoy and it was going to be her birthday. And she said, send me over some photos and she posted, and and this just shows the amazing force of of her audience to then be converted to what I had to sell, which was a very overpriced balloon with <laughs> some some accoutrement, some uh, yeah, like a tassel that hung off of it. So uh, it was luck. It was location. It was it was LA. People have mm-hmm. disposable income. Uh, that was my market, and uh, it was a curiosity because people had never seen it, and I had brought something new to the market. And so, I how think do you that, think she found? How do you think she found you? Oh, I know how she found me. We had a mutual friend um, whose name is Jordan Fernie, and she has the brand um, Oh Happy Day, and she also owns the Color Factory, which is in San Francisco, New York, and Dallas. Um, and so she, in her own world, you know, was like 
vetted me and said, Hey, like my friend is doing this thing with balloons, like maybe you'd be into it. And so that was our introduction, but the internet was very small, uh, at that point. And so we had many points of connection. And so by the time we, we didn't even actually physically meet until much later, but when the pictures came over, we all already, by the time I, I gave her the photos, we had already figured out our our, you know, we were a mile away from each other in LA and we had wow. mutual friends. And so, uh, the world was very small. Yeah, no, that's incredible. So, so you have $30,000 after a week in, in this buy it now account. Uh, yeah. what does that, what does that look like for you? Are you able to fulfill all these orders yourself? No. You know, talk, talk to me about what you then had to do. No, uh, in that time I had just moved to LA and I had been to one house party and I had never even been to a real house party. So I showed up with a balloon to this house party thinking that I'm going to someone's cute outdoor party. And I mean, they had hired strippers and it was this whole thing. And at this house party in the Hills, um, uh, there was one other person who really stood out. And so we, um, we stood out as like, we did not belong together. And it was this girl named Kate and she was from, uh, Virginia and she had moved to LA to, uh, be a model, but she was very clearly much more than just a model. And so we, we had, uh, we had found each other and she had seen the balloon. She was curious about that. And so I had this one contact of one person who had a little bit of extra time and was an easy friend. And I called her up and I said, do you want to help me fulfill these orders? I am going to need some help. And so you can, you can be sure that none of those orders arrived to the clients on time. I didn't, I didn't even have like a capture for people's addresses. So I had to personally go to everybody and ask them for their address. And I mean, it was, it was such, such a catastrophe. And I'm sure I spent every 30 K trying to, uh, every dollar of that 30 K to, uh, to fulfill the order, but it established that there was a market for it and that it was going to build momentum because then orders kept coming and they got bigger and bigger and, um, you know, it, it just took off from there. Wow. Your first house party. Yeah. When they say BYOB, they don't mean balloon, Jihan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. I'm sure you know that now, but uh, just in case our, our listeners are wondering. Um, that's incredible. So, so talk to me about how you, you know, we've, we've mentioned a few times on the podcast that the success in the creative space is not plan on being surprised, right? It's not going to look like what you think it looks like. Um, did you envision doing balloons for the last decade? No, not at all. In fact, I have to say that that's the most humbling part of this is not the delight of finding out that my 10 year legacy is balloons, but that I, I, I had to come to terms with it, not being one of my other more brilliant ideas, which I felt I had. Mm. And, yeah. and it just goes to show that sometimes the market, the, the people, the, who you're serving will tell you exactly what it is that they want. And so this was the thing that people wanted. And I'll just keep my other ideas in my back pocket. And, you know, I'll, I'll fall asleep thinking and dreaming about all of the other things that I could possibly do. But um, I, I, I'm delighted. I mean, it feels like fate that this is how it turned out. But I do see a, a very common thing with uh, people that I respect, which is that they are passionate about something that the market is not passionate about. And so you sometimes have to adjust your expectations on what it is that you do for money versus what you do that is your passion. So I keep my passions close to myself and sometimes it overlaps with what I do for work, but there has to be some objectivity so that you can adjust to what the market requires of you. And, and for me, it was, um, you know, it could be how I brand myself, uh, the kind of places that I put my brand, um, I introduced my brand to, um, the people, the other brands that I associate with might not have been how I, uh, how I had in mind, you know? And so, um, I had to become flexible to that. Were you able to use the success of Geronimo, uh, the balloon installations, mm -hmm. uh, to fuel your passions? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it, it quite literally paid for everything else in my life to, you know, happen. And, and so, you know, what, what you, 
what I found was that I wasn't giving enough passion back to Geronimo to, for it to still being, be a thriving beating heart. And so I spent a lot of my time and my money on the things that were, I was a bit more passionate about and I neglected the hand that fed me. So that mm. is a balance as well. So I, I, um, you know, I have to come, I have to come to some sort of, uh, and I'm still learning that balance to this day. Yeah. So let's, let's go back to the beginning of Geronimo a little bit. So you've got, you've got your mm-hmm. friend, Kate is Kate, right? Uh, yeah. Kate. Mm-hmm. So, so Kate's helping you fulfill some of these orders. You're trying okay. to ramp up some, trying to fulfill as many as you can get that 30 K, uh, back to the people here. Um, at what point did you start to spin a profit and what did that look like? Well, that would assume that I was keeping uh, accounting and and uh, that I was, I mean, I, I really didn't have, it, it was about uh-huh. checking a bank ledger and, and uh-huh. say, saying I had, okay, you have X amount to spend on this and you will spend that. Um, the lucky thing is, is that the, the product that I created um, was a luxury. It was billed as a luxury item. And so the margin was was uh, in my favor. So the actual product maybe was about three to ten dollars in um, material and labor, and I could sell it for one hundred to two hundred dollars. So wow. it was it was about a brand that I created and that brand identity and everything that went into that. So. I had to invest the money in a studio. I invested it in um, a better website. I invested it into little videos that I would make for the brand. So the, the, the thing that I was really putting out into the world at that point was um, this brand identity. But there was just a natural marketing sweep for me in things that I didn't pay for. So within six months, I was scouted for... Uh, a national campaign that ran in every magazine and was on TV and it was for tampons. I was a Tampax spokesmodel. I was a standout <laughs> girl and it was my first brush with what it li- what it is like to live in LA and be um, picked for um, in a, a campaign based on just being yourself. You know, I didn't have to act. I didn't have to mm. pretend I was anything else. So it was my moped, my clothes, my hair, actually it was fake hair, but it was, <laughs> um, my balloons. And so that was, that was free publicity for me. Although I got paid for it, which I think I was paid $15,000, which was at the time, like an enormous amount of money to show mm. up to be treated like a princess for a day. Mm -hmm. And, um, that catapulted the relationship that the public had, the, the, the curiosity that people had for me. So now I'm vetted by magazines and other organizations as something that should be a household name or something that people should have heard of. So if people saw me on the internet and didn't stop to take a look the first time, they see this second thing and they feel more confident in who I am. And that turns into sales and curiosity and also people looking to emulate what it is that I'm creating, which then turns into this sort of knockoff market of this luxury item, which only bolsters this need to, um, produce the original and people, you know, they they would, I would, be caught up in these um, emails of like, well, someone else is doing this, but I need to, I need to order it from the original designer. I need to order it from the person who invented it. So it yeah. built loyalty and it built a stronger audience. Yeah. Cause anybody can do balloons. So what I'm just, I'm curious what made you special. Was it just the brand? Was it you? Was it the whole package? That yeah. I mean, Morris, yeah. you've met me. Come on. <laughs> yeah. You're pretty fantastic. You're right. <laughs> If I were to order no. balloons right now, it would be from you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, the truth, the truth is I believed in it. And I think yeah. in this world, you can shop a lot of places, you can buy a lot of things, but what is not always available is a genuine, sincere, um, p- person who is selling it to you. And so I really, I had a connection to this balloon. I was very, very, I believed in it. I was very involved in it. And, and so what people were purchasing was this real, like this real human that's part of this, this moment is behind it, answering all the emails and taking the calls and texting. And, you know, I, I put myself into it 
And so it, it really imbued all of that, uh, sincerity and generosity that I, I absolutely 100% was not faking. And so I think it's even what set me apart from other people who were even, who had taken my idea and maybe had even innovated it to make it better, more streamlined, less expensive with a better website in more cities they were doing it as a business and I looked at it all along as like, ah, this is how I tell people I love them. This is how I'm I'm able to explore the world. This is my expression. So I, it was the first time I really even saw myself as an artist, but I I, I really saw this as my prop to communicate. And I I 100% believe it was just about my, my connection to it that really helped that, that become the theme. Hmm. So I, I, people might, if they haven't seen your installations, be wondering what in the hell we're talking about. So can you, is there one art installation that people could Google that you would think represents what Geronimo is, uh, just in case they're oh. curious? Um, they can look up the New York City Ballet and Geronimo, and mm-hmm. they'll see two two or three installations that I did um, over uh, – kind of a year long project that I had with them in 2018. Every year they pick a different artist to have a series with. And I was the first female artist they have had chosen, which was wow. really exciting. And um, that was the first time that my, my name was put on the, um, you know, on the marquee of something so significant and so culturally um, established. And so while I had worked with many brands, I really hadn't had a, a, a cultural institution. Um, the Broad Museum, I had been contract, I had been, uh, I had done many interesting things with many companies with the Frank Lloyd Wright Foundation um, and organizations. But uh, the New York City Ballet, really, Lincoln Center, that was the moment that things, um, really were at their all time kind of high. Yeah. And that was, that was, uh, uh, just to speak numbers, that was a $100,000 commission. So that was a check, uh, in my pocket the day that they were like, so do you want to do this? Uh, they didn't even have me fill out any paperwork. I never signed a contract and I had a wire of a hundred thousand dollars without even seeing what it was that I was going to create without even giving them a budget. I had never had that sort of, um, that, uh, that, uh, I I guess respect, but that sort of trust Trust, offered to me. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. incredible. You said it it was a year long project. How much, how many days and hours do you think went into that installation? Well, was it a year long project? I'm trying to think. I I treated it like it was a year. I had moved to New York. I was, I was there by, I was LA, New York by coastal. Um, let's see. Let's, uh, it was three months of work, um, and of assembling teams, uh, of actual work. Um, there was probably 10 days of actual labor in that, but what, Mm -hmm. what, was significant about that project was that I developed a relationship with the choreographers and the dancers and the different departments of the ballet and of Lincoln Center. And I really got to understand how this um, huge organization works and um, and be able to collaborate with people in a much bigger way. So um, yeah. uh, it, it wasn't just balloon installations at the end of the day that that offered me. Um, I had a pass to Lincoln Center and and I could wander the halls and see how other creators were, you know, doing their thing. And that was so significant. You seem to have this ability to just, and it's from my perception, so excuse me if this isn't accurate, but uh, you just kind of float through life. And I, I feel like, I mean, I know you as just one of the nicest, kindest human beings ever that cares deeply about everyone she meets. And, uh, and I feel that with your art installations, how have you been able to just kind of put business almost seemingly to the side? And I know that sounds almost a little bit offensive and it's not meant to be, but I I don't feel like when I meet you, you're running a business on a day to day and it's that grind. I feel like you're just here to give joy to people and love people. And somehow you're (laughs) successful in it financially. Like, how did that happen? Um, 
you know, I don't know. Um, I think it starts off with my mom who loved her job. I was raised by a single mother who was a French and Spanish high school teacher. Um, her relationship with money, which was very, uh, was very modest. Um, I think, uh, I, I think growing up, my mom made maybe between 30 and $45,000. Um, and I, I, my mom is still a teacher and I, I don't know what her current wage is, but that was someone who had had years and years of schooling and who had dedicated her life. And her relationship wasn't one of pain with money and her work. She just felt so grateful for the, her job and money being a tool. And so, ah, we, oh, we don't have money for it. Oh, no worries. Oh, we have, we, we can, we can do this thing. And I had a magical childhood. My mom paid cash for everything that we did in our life. There was never any credit, which is something that I've had to learn is really important as an adult, but I traveled to Europe every summer. We didn't have cable. I didn't have new things. My mom drove a 91 Corolla until probably 2001. Um, <laughs> And she showed me that that there's a balance with how to work and how to pray, like how to praise money and how to use money in an interesting way. And so when uh, I, I have, you know, I, I have this, I have a cousin in Turkey, and she does, um, I guess, astrology. I know very little about it, but she said, "Oh, oh, I see you. You you are meant to have money in this world." Um, uh, because you you show other people how to not make life about money so you can show everybody how 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 great how great this tool can be but you don't live and die by it and um i whether or not i believe this astrology or not or i think it's a really sweet sentiment i feel that way i think that i'm i have been really lucky as a way to show people the relationship that you have to have with your work before this what is seen what is seen as a blessing which is the money can come rolling in like you need to attract that by the generosity of your work and and it will come you have to have faith so i, I you know this isn't to say that times are always so abundant for me i've had to learn how to um live in a feast and in a famine so yeah absolutely but, uh, when I meet a client, I think the first thing, and, and this is just something that I've learned works for me. Uh, I have an agent who represents me. I've had met, I've had business managers who represent me. Even on my team, I have someone who is more equipped to talk about the finances, but I involve myself in all of it. And I said, I, I, I make it very clear that we need to really hammer out the details of the finance so that like immediately that has to happen before any other creative work comes through because I need to be available for the creative. And if I'm worrying about a bill that hasn't been paid or um, a, a negotiation that hasn't been finalized, then I mean, I just, uh, I can't, I can't work. I can't work like that. So Crazy. I make it, uh, yeah, yeah. No, mm. I make it very clear that it has to be figured out in advance and then we can begin the fun stuff. And, and that works for me. That's incredible, though. See I, see, I didn't know that about you, and I and I'm really glad that I do know that about you because I think that's something that some people are really afraid to to approach is money, right? So, what's this going to cost me? And that's a very difficult conversation sometimes. But I love hearing the way you frame it, right? So it's not it's don't it's get that out of the way first so that you don't let it impede your creativity later. And uh, I think that's a, a really great value drop. Um, thank you. And, you know, a homeless man actually told me that as I was walking down the street in my old neighborhood in New York, I was taking something to, um, be discarded. And he said, why are you holding this heavy thing? You're clearly an artist. You need to be focusing on the art and not trying to run these, run these errands. I've been watching you go across the street like 20 times. And he said, let me take care of this for you. And he wouldn't accept any money. And he's like, you need to go in and you need to take a nap and you need to daydream. And I was like, who is this Oracle who can see straight through me? But, um, I will go as far as telling my clients that they need to pay 100% before they get the concept because I also don't want to be negotiating the payment schedule of things. Um, and, and, uh, the truth is like, I'm the only one who, who can, who can demand that even my agents who 
speak on my behalf and have a role to kind of help guide me in the right direction. But they're like, oh, no, we're too afraid. We're too afraid that we might offend them. And yeah, that's my conversation, I, right? No. I'm always that way. I'm like, I'm like, well, we'll do 50% up front. And then, no. you know, at delivery, mm-hmm. we'll do the other 50%. So talk, how do you put your yeah, mind so- around that? If the company has it to pay at all, then they can pay it whenever. Um, it's a it's a game of leverage. So if there's if there's a you know a, amount that needs to be remitted at the end of the contract, then they have they ha- they kind of have you in their palm. And mm-hmm. I I, do, I don't like to play these games, and I I like to give them everything, but I don't want to feel that it's become this sort of toxic relationship of you know you do, like I'm gonna jump when you tell me to jump. So I I demand I I request a 100% of the 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 fee to be paid. Um, as you would when you go to a store and you buy a shirt before you walk out with that shirt, you have to pay a hundred percent of it. Um, And then I, and then I go to, and then I go to work and I really give them everything so that they can never feel like they have been bamboozled. And, you know, I, I have, I have a pedigree, you know, I've worked with enough people this in this way that they can go back to my previous clients and say like, did you really pay a hundred percent up front? Yes, they did. But (laughs) It is the first litmus test that you can give your client. So it is the way there is, there are very few ways that, a that, a that the relationship between the client and the art collector will say, sure. um, there, there, aside from them putting, you know, like fireworks on the day of the, of the event, there's very few things that they can give you as a sign of respect other than money, right? Money is the sign <laughs> of respect here. It's like, this is how you told tell me that you like me you love me and you want some of me you give me the money you're gonna give it to me now and if you don't then i don't think we can work together because i i I can sense that this might be used as a tool along the way as leverage to kind of adjust and shift the the project which i'm amenable to but um ultimately it it becomes a um a kind of a a game like a power dynamic so um i've i've been very fortunate to have very good attorneys who um also write very very like great contracts and i have taught the people who represent me when i'm not in the meeting to 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 have the freedom to walk away when something doesn't seem like it's working out. And if it sounds too good to be true, and if they, they're promising all of these things in lieu of paying me, you know, a hundred percent or even 10%, um, I'd, it's a sign that we probably should, we probably should walk away. Like they, they don't have the money. And this is something that, um, you know, I, I run into a lot with, with organizations. They, um, at the end of the day, they might not actually have the money. And so you, you need to, uh, you need to, uh, be careful about who I am working in really large numbers. So we're, 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 I I mean, I'm not even saying that as like, uh, that's not a point of like, I'm not trying to humble brag or anything. No, no, this isn't a brag, but, um, you know, uh, uh, my minimum for a moment was half a million dollars for a project. And so, um, I was working on a really large scale for these things that weren't about just balloons on the side of the building, but about legacy art and creating, you know, art over years with different companies or countries, um, and, and locations. And so if they, uh, they say yes at the beginning, but they can only pay a $10,000 site visit fee, there's a little bit of a concern that they might not actually be able to invest in the long, in the long road. So, um, uh, it's just money, money is so important and people are so scared to talk about it, especially artists, because they think that, that they're, asking for too much that they're asking for um they're asking the yeah that they that they're being Mm -hmm. unreasonable to to discuss money talk to me about your team and how you're able to find these people uh how are you able to scale from doing backyard parties uh Mm -hmm. you know 10 grand Mm -hmm. to half a million dollar installations and how do you find some of these uh, is it just your agency that's finding these branded content talk, talk to me about the brands that you've been able to work with over the last decade yeah, so my agencies have stepped in very late in the game. Only in the last like three years has I, have I even worked with an agent. So in in my own 
uh, climb, I had um, minimums along the way. So I knew that the projects that I wanted to do um, needed to become bigger and that I would let the, we'll call them copycats or the, 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 the tribute bands to Geronimo, <laughs> uh, take the projects that were under 10 and 20 and $50,000. And so I created limits for myself. Um, and so it then turns into, um, you know, I'm doing projects for Elon Musk and Kanye West, and they are just in the higher sphere. And you have to, this is the thing, um, you have to be good at saving money and you have to be good at saying no. So I wasn't hurting myself when I said no to work. And of course, every so often, you know, if I needed to buy a new car, I'd be like, okay, I should probably take a couple extra jobs that I wouldn't normally take. But I, I held back from taking certain work because I was really trying to groom the where I wanted to go. And so when I would meet with a client, when I would, when I would speak to their house manager or to their tour manager, I would introduce them to a, a bigger idea and a bigger concept. And so I allowed them the to one speak. reaching out to these people. No, I've never reached out to anyone in my entire life. No, that's all. <laughs> they're all emails to me. No, of course not. <laughs> uh, and you're not being sarcastic. No, I'm not being sarcastic. I've never, I've ne I never reached out to anybody. And for most of this time I had taken down my website and I just had like a, had a phone number and an email because what I was trying to create was so rapidly changing that I, I really didn't want it to be, um, I didn't want the bigger vision of what I was trying to do to be diluted by trying to sell, um, like a $40 kit. Although, mm. If I needed to do that, I would have done that. Like I, I don't have no pride against it. I just knew that I needed to move away from the private party sphere, and I really wanted to create art. and I, And I wanted my work to be in, uh, to have a, a larger canvas and a bigger showcase. And what I think the turning point was for me was that I started doing it for free, and I created what I wanted people to be hiring me for in public space around LA. So I would use the I would use the surplus of my materials, and I would buy more materials, and I would spend probably on average five to ten thousand dollars on labor and these materials to take my work and my vision to the street corner, the bodega, the free clinic, the health, the school, the um, you know, like the exterior of an abandoned warehouse, and that was Truly how art people installations, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I wouldn't ask permission, and I would go with about fifteen to twenty people in a U-Haul, uh, and I, we we would all show up and um, and 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 put something into the world that was again, it was it had no branding, it was full of love. Everyone was being paid. This wasn't like a volunteer position, and everyone put their best foot forward. And so I had this amazing work that was on the side that was like the greatest, the greatest advertising for what it was that I wanted to give in this world. And it wasn't on the location that my client requested of me, or it wasn't in the colors that this, you know, you know, MetLife needed for me to make the colors. And it was just from my heart and also a practical, you know, like this is, I got a lot of pink left over. Looks like we're going pink today. Um, <laughs> But I don't think that people could distinguish the difference between what I was creating out of joy and out of love and as a gift to my city versus what then I was creating for clients. And so around this time, I had been hired to be part of a Cadillac uh, campaign uh, with a commercial, and they also filmed me creating one of these, uh, these sculptures at my studio in Echo Park. On that day, Sia, the artist mm -hmm. um drove by took a photo and uh put it on her instagram and tagged me um, she was my neighbor at, at the studio and so <laughs> all of a sudden i'm being um tagged in these photos not only for cadillac and for the things that i'm doing around the city to then this very famous recording artist and so there's you know, again, we're going back into the luck of proximity when you're in the right city and the right time and people are looking at you as they drive by. And Sia is your neighbor. 
Yep. And see as your neighbor, um, there is this natural help that occurs. And I think uh, it, it's just, it's just, you got to, you got to get the ball moving. You got to get the ball rolling. And then everything, if you're in the place to um, give with that heart, like I was giving out of love, truly, um, I think I was, be, you know, I believe I, it comes down to a general idea of like, what do you believe of this world? Like, I believe that the, um, like evil doesn't win and good always <laughs> wins. Mm. Like I, I, I 100% believe in, uh, in that, in the intention of all the work that you put into this world will come back in some way or another. And it doesn't come always as money or have a great business, but that that will be rewarded back to you. And, and the trick is you just can't, you can't be putting that into the world just because you, you want vain things. Like I didn't, expect for this to turn into something that that became um so successful I, I i put my love into this because it brought me so much joy to see people happy and so i my goal is always to be connected to that and as soon as i start thinking oh i could get i could buy a house on this or oh i got this trip uh, trip you know like oh we can buy like as soon as it turns into um uh, this, uh, this connection to material goods and, and then like this ego that's inflated by how much money I'm making or my, my, my minimums for working with me, then I've done it all wrong. And I need, Mm. I need a little slap of humility and that, you know, that, that comes, that comes, Uh, that's the fate of it as well. So incredible. So talk to me about, so you're, you're making money. You, you mentioned earlier feast and famine, right? And I think that that is a, that is in every creative industry. doesn't matter how much money you're making. There is feast and famine. There's times that you're making more money than ever. And then there's years that you make no money at all. So talk to me yeah. about what you're doing with your money to make sure that it's, it lasts. <laughs> well, I don't spend the money always. Um, there, is, I, I, so uh, we'll just use last year for an example. Um, I had about $20,000 in, in um, rental and mortgage expenses that I needed to pay each month. And then uh, around month four of the pandemic, I realized that I could not continue to pay $20,000 a month in two different cities of homes and studios and then continue to live to create work, to, to have any, to have anything that felt stable. So things had to shift. Um, I let go of my New York studio and apartment and I let go of my LA, um, studio. And so all of these, you know, like all of my ego that's attached to that also has to be kind of accounted for, which is, um, significant. And there are places that I had been for many years, my studio in LA, I had had it for, uh, almost nine years, eight or nine yeah. years. And yeah. it was a, it was a, it was a home for me. Um, but, uh, it needed to, something needed to evolve. And I knew that I wasn't going to be working for some time. Um, and I had had some, some bad contracts with about four different, um, clients that didn't require them to pay me, um, or, or continue with our payment structure for these projects that, you know, honestly, they sh- they shouldn't have happened because they would have been a public uh, public health nightmare. This is the problem of my work. <laughs> I create yes. I create work for people to come and it, 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 please come and be sweaty and be be rubbed up <laughs> against each other and be full of this moment uh-huh. and uh, and and uh, you, you know, like the breeding ground is what I am excellent at so all of a sudden my core demographic is a danger zone um and i and i i now have all of this work that's either been canceled or put off indefinitely with no money coming in whatsoever mm-hmm. um i had done a project for alicia keys and that was the last thing and it was like one of those like mercy things that you take and you're like, Oh, this is a cute thing. And then I was like, Oh my gosh, this paid for insurance and for, uh, like moving my stuff to storage for the next six months, or like paying for storage for the next six months. Like I felt very grateful wow. for the things yeah. that had led up to me being like, okay, so feast and famine. Um, as an artist, 
you you know what it's like to have less than a hundred dollars in your bank account. I I, I hope that every artist, every human being on this planet has an experience to know what that feels like Mm -hmm. Um, because it opens you up to a certain humility and awareness of the world outside of you that nothing else can possibly offer you. And so you, um, you are, uh, everything's alive. Like, Everything looks like an opportunity. Everything feels like a chance. Um, hopefully, when you get over the depression of only <laughs> having $56. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yes. But I have been there, uh, and I, I understand what that feels like. And so connecting to this famine is so important for me as an artist because it allows me to reset to like the reasons why I'm doing this. Um and uh, and to look at everything around me and see if they're serving the purpose of what I'm trying to put into the world. So like having the dead weight of different um, homes and studios that I can't use really is causing more weight and more of a burden for me spiritually and creatively. I've got to let these things go. So Mm -hmm. that, that is part of the, 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 the famine for me is, is really becoming more lean and, um, more humble and, and, and to do more with less, which is how it all started for me. I had a job, I made 60,000 a year at this job with, uh, the children's uh, character education company as a creative director. Um, the 60 K as a 25 year old was a really great salary. Um, but it wasn't necessarily a ton of money to start a business. Um, and so I took what I could and I bought things along the way. Um, that was before I, I quit my job and I moved to LA, but I started very small and very incremental incrementally to be able to build something because I, that's, that's all I had. I didn't have it. I didn't have, I didn't have a savings. So it's a couple hundred dollars here and a couple hundred dollars there. And that's, that's what you do. And in that, in that environment of only being able to create with what you have and like the tools and tricks around you, you can invent something really special. And so if you are waiting, and I have to remind myself every day of this, if I'm waiting for this golden project or this idea to come through when I have X, Y, or Z to save the day, like the project, it's never going to happen for me. It has to begin, mm. like you have to thrive with creating now with what you have. And that means that you are not going to have maybe the nicest computer to edit that thing. And so you may need to adjust what you're doing. Uh, yeah. You might not have the tools. Uh, so the look of it's going to be, you know, like you just have to adapt with what you have. And right now, like my materials have changed because I don't have I don't have the disposable income to just erect projects without a client that's involved. And so I'm looking at the things that I already have and giving them new life. And, and I'm looking at licensing op- opportunities instead of um, new virgin material, which is obviously ideal for me as an ego. Like, oh, yeah, I want to make something new. But if I can re- repurpose something that I've made in the past and I can license it in a, in a different city, I except that that's a way for me to um, leverage what I've created and, and be able to make an income from that. And, and I Absolutely. never thought that I would, I would be able to do that just like, you know, yeah. It was Talk my, my about, ego. Uh, do you have any, any sort of savings for one Ks? Are you invested in stocks? Are you doing, is there any other uh, stream of income coming in <laughs> that's not balloon related or, or sorry, Geronimo related? <laughs> Well, I had some, I had some crypto and I I got got out of the crypto game right before it boomed again. Um, and I, I have had, um, I have had stocks in the past. I do have a 401k and it was established, um, in a period of my life when I was um, my like 401k minded. And so as an artist, um, that I would say that was like pre 25. So I'm 35 now. Um, I've been doing this for 10 years. When I was 25, I had worked for companies my entire life. So, um, or my working life, uh, five years. And in that time (laughs) that built, that laid the, the groundwork for a lot of the things that I, I'm so lucky that I have now. So I developed a 401k in, 2003, um, 
2004 uh, that I've I, I've been able to deposit to ever since. So uh, w- w- my mind doesn't work that way now as an artist. Like oh, well, d- like it, it just doesn't it doesn't cre- it doesn't create that um, it doesn't get excited about that. So um, I would say you no, as an no, 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 no. I just don't think of it. No, no, because I live I live for today, <laughs> not tomorrow. Yeah, but what so, happens if the pandemic rages for another three years and you're not able to? I mean, it's. I guess that's the question: is how do you weather the yeah. storm? And, and and are you able to create and i and i love that you mentioned the licensing thing that's something that i would not have thought of at all uh but uh are you able to create income for yourself that's yeah. that doesn't rely on events absolutely because i have to change i have to change how i'm serving people so i have to find out how i'm how, how i'm able to create and that's how i serve people so um in the last year i developed a tv show um and i have started designing things that live in a virtual space instead of a physical space so 100% things have had to change but i the core of what it is that i can provide which is relief hope mm. excitement through what i what i am able to make or create or invent in any platform is still my number one priority i just have to be amenable to how that changes so i've been working with a company called genie they are um the kind of leaders in augmented reality space and so i can create a very safe installation that millions of people can go to in their living room. Um, and I can work with a client to build this concept so that people don't have to leave and, and, you know, my work doesn't become a breeder site. So working in other platforms, uh, is, is obviously how I'm able to adjust how I, how I create. Wonderful. Well, I, I think uh, with that, we'll, we'll close it out here. I just really appreciate your time, Jihan. Where can people find more about you, and where can they look forward to some of your art installations? Uh, honestly, I'm, I'm secretive. So anything that I have that I'm excited about, I am not sharing uh, because I, I, I want it to be a surprise. But I am working on um, a, a streaming TV show that will – um, debut at the end of February, and it's called Sleepover. So, what you look for, what look out for, is Sleepover. My next, my next project. So, what um, platform I'm going ex- to um, all the platforms. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> well, we'll look forward to it. Gian, thank you so much for being here. Really pre- your, appreciate your time. Thanks, Lars. Um, <laughs> such a pleasure. Like what? charge half a million dollars up front I, I just I mean that kind of stuff just blew my mind I loved it I learned a lot I laughed a lot and I loved a lot it was wonderful so thanks guys for sticking around uh, be sure to um, write a review on your on your Apple podcast wherever you get your podcast and uh, if you wouldn't mind following on social media Facebook uh, creative income or Instagram creative income podcast um, I'd really like to follow and I'd really like the shares man Let's uh, let's help our, our you know brothers and sisters out in the creative space. Anyway, have a good week. Yeah.